Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. And today, show number 88, we're going to talk with the picky eater, Anjali Shah. I found this blog, I don't even know how, it was just sort of out there on Google searches or in the Huffington Post or somewhere, but it was very easy to find and it was very easy to keep finding. And when I looked at the blog at pickyeaterblog.com, I assumed that Anjali Shah was a full-time professional blogger compensated for her work by sponsors, uh, maybe having books to sell, maybe doing public speaking, and that she had an entire press team behind her getting her all the attention she was getting. I reached out to her and was pleasantly surprised that she responded right away. I didn't have to go through her entire team of handlers. And we got on the phone and chatted. And it turns out that there is no team of handlers. There's no PR team. There's um, not too many sponsors. There are some. But basically, she is a full-time working gal at Google in Ann Arbor. And she does this blog as a sideline, as really a third job after a second job as a certified health coach. So just looking at her... Uh, left sidebar. She's been featured on Food Network, Dr. Oz, Healthy Eats, Shape, Whole Food Market, Women's Health, Ladies Home Journal, blah, 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 blah. blah. Uh, also featured on Oprah.com. And they have asked her to do a bunch of videos for them on the Oprah Network. So that really got me wondering, because one of the big challenges we face in the Get You Healthy community is getting noticed is fighting for our share of brain space and fighting for our share of media attention. And here is a woman who is doing no fighting whatsoever, no pushing whatsoever, no uh, solicitation whatsoever. And all these media outlets and sponsors are coming straight to her. So I wanted to find out how she did it. And I also wanted her to share her story about being a picky eater and marrying a picky eater and having those uh, same, that same phrase mean two very different things. It's a, it's a great story. But in the interview, we really get into the heart of how she's able to get all these people to pay attention to her. And it's not based on strategy. It's really based on outlook, philosophy, mindset, and heart. So without further ado, Anjali Shah, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited for this interview partly because I've been spending a lot of time on your website pickyeaterblog.com and I've been you know just um, getting all those um, you know dopamine hits looking at the food that I'm imagining myself making and eating. Um, <laughs> and to also I, I realized that I wanted to talk to you about uh, branding and how you have managed to cut through the clutter of so many food bloggers and so many plant-based bloggers and healthy bloggers and um, the way the ways in which you represent yourself and your mission to the world. But for, first of all, um, I'd love to start by you just telling us, you know, your, your story, how you got into um, healthy eating, healthy cooking, and how the Picky Eater blog came about. Sure. So... I actually grew up eating fairly healthy. Um, my family, you know, was from the Bay Area, and we all know that's sort of a mecca for healthy food. Uh, and, you know, so I was uh, taught really good lessons by my parents about 
eating things in moderation, not, you know, not focusing on dieting, but just focusing on good whole foods and um, still enjoying indulgences here and there, but not overdoing it, you know, when you do. Um, so I, I sort of, you know, was, that was sort of part of who I was, you know, growing up and through college and everything. Um, when I got married or when I started dating my future husband, he, I realized that his eating style was very, very different from mine. Um, he was a fast food and frozen pizza addict and proud of it. And, uh, which was fine when we, you know, were dating, but once we got married, I really wanted to figure out how to bridge the gap between my healthy food world and his fast food world. Um, and so I started teaching myself how to cook before then I hadn't actually ever cooked before. Um, I didn't even know how to use a can opener. So I was completely a novice, <laughs> completely self-taught. And, uh, so I just started looking up, you know, recipes online that seemed interesting and started adapting them to, uh, you know, fit our tastes and preferences. And eventually I realized that, you know, I had some pretty good recipes, but I kept forgetting what I had made in the past. And so I actually started the picky eater as a way to keep track of what I was making at home um, and what, what recipes my husband actually liked that were healthy. So, you know, I started testing out my recipes on him and I figured if he liked it, then most people would. Um, and so, uh, so then, so then that's really how it was born. And, you know, it just sort of grew organically from there. People started responding to the recipes that I posted. And so then I realized that I could actually do more with it than just have it be for myself and, you know, cataloging what I was making. Um, and so I, you know, expanded it and, um, focused on recipes, but also giving people health tips because I'm also a health coach and, um, and, and yeah, it's just sort of taken off from there. So it's your own little Julie and Julia experience. <laughs> I guess it is kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's a bunch of things in that story that are really curious to me and a little bit foreign. <laughs> like, so, um, I am a healthy eater. And yet, when one of my family members brings home something that I would consider not part of my diet, like a bag of potato chips or a bar of chocolate, uh -huh. like that's all I can think about. It's 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 like one of those um, you know uh, science fiction movies where the thing is just making the shrieking noise that only I can hear, and I have to like you know <laughs> cower with pillows over my head and my hands over my ears so I don't go and just you know devour the the contraband. I'm curious when, 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 you know, when you went to college and the, you were surrounded by all this stuff, which is, you know, designed to stimulate our pleasure centers in a, in a really immediate and visceral way, how you were able to, to stay healthy. Uh, well, so in college, I definitely went a little crazy with the junk food, um, I mean, you know, late night pizza parties and all kinds of, you know, cookies and things available at all hours of the night when you're studying. Definitely. Um, I indulged all the time and I actually ended up, um, you know, becoming a little bit less healthy, gaining about 15 pounds my first year. Definitely was the freshman 15 stereotype. And um, I mean, but one thing that did help was that I've always been really active um, throughout my life. And even in college, I you know, it was part of multiple dance teams. So I had like 
you know, at least two hours of dance practice every day. And so even with indulging all over the place, like I was still able to not uh, completely fall off the wagon, I guess. But, um, but, you know, it was really after I finished my freshman year and I realized that, um, that I went all the way to the other side of eating a lot more junk food than what I'm used to. Um, I decided to just find something that was a healthy balance in between what I grew up with and, um, and sort of like the college freshman experience. So, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's really through that year and after that year that I taught myself how to, um, enjoy junk food in moderation. And what I realized is that, you know, I'd grown up so healthy that I never really had access to junk food. And, um, you know, when I went to college, I was like, this is amazing. I didn't even know these things existed. And so I ate them all the time. Oh, by the bag full. <laughs> um, but then I, you know, then I was like, okay, this, this food isn't running away and I have a choice of whether to eat it. And if I want to eat it, maybe I can just eat a little bit and enjoy it because I know that it's not like that's the only time I'm ever going to get it, you know? So um, I think that mentality helped me to, you know, have a bag of cookies in the, in the pantry and eat, you know, half of one for dessert a day for example you know yeah, so, um but it, it it took a while to get there so i'm so happy to hear that <laughs> so, <laughs> i'm so i'm so glad for your misery during <laughs> so, <it's, laughs> no so, but seriously so you're, you're you had your freshman year experience even with two hours of strenuous activity you're still gaining some weight and then you decided right, on, on some sort of higher cognitive level that you were going to develop a different relationship, you're going to rationalize your relationship, you weren't going to go, you know, crazy and, and, you know, lock yourself in your room, but you were going to develop a relationship where you could take it or leave it and take it in right. moderation. But the environment around you hadn't changed. How, how did you was it hard to navigate? Or did you find you know, did you I don't know where you went to school, if it was in the Bay Area, where there were, you know, cafeteria healthy options? Like, were you did you spend the next years in college swimming against the late night pizza party junk food stream? Or did you find um, environmental support for the way you wanted to eat? Um, yeah, so I went to college at Berkeley. Um, so I was in the Bay still. But uh definitely, you know, you're right, the environment didn't change. Um, but I think like my mentality about it really made it so that it didn't matter whether the environment changed or not. I think I, I just realized that, you know, if I'm at like a study session and someone orders pizza that I don't have to have four slices, like, you know, no one cares whether I have one slice or four slices. It's really just about what I want. And do I want to eat four slices? Well, the next day I don't feel so great if I eat four slices of pizza the night before. So maybe I'll like have a little snack, a healthy snack before I go to the study session. And then I'll have like one slice of pizza there. Um, or, you know, if everyone's like taking a trip to the local ice cream parlor for dessert, like maybe I'll just share something with a friend and eat, you know, half of a little cup of ice cream instead of having the whole thing and getting all the toppings on top. Mm. Those are just like some little examples here or there where I was able to modify my behavior in the context of the same environment and not really have it impact anything like socially or, um, or even just for my own happiness. I actually felt better because I was eating better, but I was still enjoying what everybody else was eating. And so 
Um, and I was able to, you know, go back to my, the normal weight that I've been at since I was, you know, a teenager. So, um, so I think all of those things made it a lot easier to, uh, to be able to still eat healthy, but eat a couple of junk food items here and there and not feel guilty about not eating as much as everybody else or, you know, eating it when I want to be healthy, for example. Wow. You, you, you could be an entire cognitive behavioral therapy textbook. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how I would have gone to the ice cream parlor with a bunch of friends and shared something and not put all the toppings on. And there'd be this big neon sign flashing over my head going self-deprivation. And yet you, oh. you, you were doing the same thing and, and interpreting it as self-care. That's fabulous. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Wow. Well, what, whatever else you learned at Berkeley, this, uh, I think most people wish they could get through their education and having learned something this empowering. That's fabulous. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it is. It was empowering in the sense that, um, it, it's really liberating. Like when you feel like you have complete control over what you eat and you don't have to feel bad about any of it. Um, because food is pleasure, even healthy food that. If it tastes good, it's pleasurable. There's no reason why healthy food can't be an indulgent experience. And there's no reason why eating, you know, ice cream or cho chocolate or something else is like a little treat after dessert has to be a guilty experience. The whole thing can just be a pleasurable experience, provided that the balance between the two is right. Beautiful. Um, so the other thing about your story that struck me was that by the age of 24, you hadn't learned to cook, even to the extent of, of fumbling with a can opener. I'm curious about, um, you know, your, your, your upbringing, where that wasn't seen as important, or were you resistant? Like, was, you know, was your mom maybe, maybe trying, trying to get you to learn how to cook and you just didn't have time for it? Or what, what was your uh, experience of escaping that? Yeah, you know, I, it's interesting because my family is really into food and really into cooking at home and we had dinner at home every night. And looking back, I actually have wondered why I, uh, why I wasn't more involved in the kitchen. Neither, you know, I have a younger brother. Neither of us uh, were really ever in the kitchen helping, you know, chop vegetables or anything. So I, I was actually like wondering that myself. I don't have a good answer. I mean, the only, <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that I, I was really, really busy as a kid. And so was my brother. I mean, lots of different activities and always out, out of the house doing something here or there. And, um, you know, the only thing I can, think, I can think of is that I just wasn't around, uh, you know, to help out in the kitchen. Um, and if I was around, I probably was like doing homework or hanging out with a friend. And my mom probably just thought that, you know, wanted me to just, enjoy myself. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't really, I don't really have a good, uh, good explanation for it. Um, I do wish I was actually more involved in the kitchen because I think it's great to get kids involved in cooking and helping out. They learn a lot about food that way. Um, well, at least you didn't have any negative experiences. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. I, and it, and, it, and you definitely have plenty of amusing stories, uh, from learning my, teaching myself how to cook. <laughs> <laughs> So were, were your parents um, first generation or immigrants to America? Yeah, they came here in 1978. Uh -huh. From where? Uh, from India. Uh -huh. So it was did that inform um, the cuisine you had in your house? Yeah, 
I mean, we definitely had a lot of home-cooked Indian food, which is very different than traditional Indian restaurant food. Um, and that was, I would say that was probably like 70% of what we ate at home. But then, you know, coming to America, like my parents were really, you know, adventurous eaters and they were just really into all kinds of cuisines and they traveled the world a bunch before we were born. And so, you know, they loved Italian food, they loved Mexican food. So Asian, you know, all kinds of different foods. And so I, I'd say probably like two or three nights a week, we'd have some other cuisine besides Indian and the rest of it was usually Indian food for dinner. Uh-huh. So, so somehow you've uh, you've turned into uh, your mother without uh, <laughs> without ever having been um, you know consciously schooled in it. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I think my dad was really shocked when I started this blog about cooking because he was like, "What you're cooking?" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, definitely, it's kind of funny how that's happened. Okay. So so. Um... You you met the man who's now your husband, and mm-hmm. you saw the way he was eating. And how come that wasn't a deal breaker? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have to tell you, the first time that um, he invited me over for dinner, he he was like, "Oh, we'll just make something from what we have in the fridge in my apartment." I was like, "All right, cool." And I went over there, and there was like a loaf of white bread, and a head of iceberg lettuce, like one tomato, like some mustard, and like. Craft singles, cheese slices. He was like, "Let's make grilled cheese," and I was like, "Okay." <laughs> um, so I was like, "Why don't we just go out to eat?" <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it wasn't a deal breaker, but definitely something that I kind of kept in the back of my mind of something that I was hoping that we could change. <laughs> okay, so so I know that uh, I've, I've interviewed a bunch of people who um, were in relationships in which they had that thought. It was either you know in the back of their mind, like yeah, we're going to work on this, <laughs> we're going to work on this mm-hmm. thing with this person, or it was you know the the giant thing in the front of their mind, like I got to fix you. And, right. Um, and for most of them, it, it's it's uh, you know. Th- coming at it from that perspective turned out to be a very unpleasant experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, uh, what, how did you approach it in ways that either, you know, sort of helped or didn't help either, you know, the stated goal of getting him healthier or the relationship in general? Like what, what were the lessons you learned as you embarked on this project? Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that I just sort of went into it assuming because I'm the type of person that, you know, if someone wants me to change something about myself, the last way that I will ever do it is if they tell me directly, like, you need to change this because it's not good, um, because that's really demotivating. And so just as using myself as a case study, I decided that, like, the best way to influence change in how my husband ate wasn't to berate him for eating junk food. Um, wasn't to make him feel bad for, you know, not eating fruits and vegetables. Um, But instead was to just sort of give him tiny nudges in the direction that I wanted him to go. So, for example, like if he asked me to bring home a loaf of bread from the grocery store, he was eating white bread. So one day I just brought home a loaf of wheat bread. And I was like, hey, why don't you just try this, you know? Um, And (laughs) and he he definitely, you know, he calls it my uh, passive-aggressive 
method, but he says he was like, it totally worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that he was like, he's, he's a pretty open guy. Um, but you know, the first time that I took him to an all vegetarian restaurant that made like healthy organic food, he was very skeptical. Um, but then I think it helped that, you know, the initial experiences that he had, even with things that I made at home tasted really good. And so that, helped him to be more open to eating tofu and eating kale and eating, you know, blueberries and making smoothies at home and all those kinds of things. I tried to make sure that the first experience that he had with any new foods or healthy foods that I introduced were really delicious ones. And so then it was hard for him to argue, um, you know, that the, his old way of eating or the alternative was better when he knew that like, what I was giving him was still much, much better for him. So, um, so that, that was sort of the approach that I took. And, you know, it, it, it was a long process. I mean, you know, three years into our marriage, he was definitely still getting like Totino's frozen pizzas. And that was sort of like one of the last things that I nudged out um, with some organic frozen pizza that I found at Whole Foods that, you know, had really good whole food ingredients and was sort of like the same thing that you would make at home. So, um but you know, it, 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 it's not like it happened overnight. It was definitely a process. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, reading between the lines, all, all the times when he chose the, the frozen pizza or the, the junk food or the grilled cheese sandwich, you, you weren't doing some mental calculus of resentment or failure. Exactly. No, I mean, I, you know, I didn't think that any of this was going to change overnight. And, um, and then, you know, the other thing is leading by example, right? Like he's going to eat the frozen pizza for lunch and I'm going to eat a salad and some soup that I made at home or something much healthier. And then when he's eating his frozen pizza, you know, I'm like, Oh, do you want to try some of my salad? Do you want to try some of my soup? And it's, it's really just like in that way, you know, we're eating together. There's no judgment. I'm very, very big on no judgment. I just don't think it helps anybody. Um, And if somebody's going to change, if they feel judged, they're just going to cling more to the behavior that they're doing because they, it's, you know, it's like when you tell a kid that they can't have something, they want to do it more. So it's the same. I feel like it's the same thing that happens with adults and judgment. And so even with my blog, I try really, really hard to make it a judgment-free zone. Um, I try to really just put it out there like this is the this is a different way of eating. Like just try it. If you don't like it, it's okay, you know. But if you do, and most people do, then they keep coming back for more. Um, and you know, sort of the same thing with with my husband um, because it's not like eating frozen pizza makes you a bad person. So there's no reason to judge you for that. It's it's just that you know, like um, maybe there's a better choice that you could make <laughs> that would be better for you and for your family. <laughs> So did did your husband know that he was your project or at what point did he become aware of that? Um, I was pretty explicit about it when I started the blog. I was like, hey, guess what? I'm going to use you as my test case. You're going to be my guinea pig. He was like, all right, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So uh, he's always been really supportive. um, And and yeah, I mean, he was happy to sort of be my taste tester for my recipes, especially when I was first starting out. He was actually the one who pushed me to learn how to cook. So sort of credit him with that a little bit. Hmm. So which which brings me to uh, I think I, I, I told you in a conversation we had uh, offline about loving the name of your blog. So the idea of the picky eater. And mm-hmm. 
Um, so, you know, t- obviously, you know, your, your husband is the picky eater here. But when I first saw it, I assumed that you were the picky eater and that it was a positive thing. Can you talk, talk about the different ways in which you think about the word picky? Yeah, I mean, for me, it is a positive thing. Um, I think, like, you know, when you talk, you phrased it really well. You said that I'm reclaiming what a picky eater is. And I think I really am. Um, That's really what I am trying to do with the blog. Um, And that actually, I initially, you know, came up with that title for myself, because that's how I thought of myself as a good picky eater, not the, you know, the the kind that only wants to eat ice cream all day. Um, but then over time, I realized as people were reading it, they assumed that my husband was the picky eater because he's the one who only wants frozen pizzas and junk food. So um, I, it has a double meaning, and um, I kind of like it that way now. Mm. And, and I'm thinking, I, I love that when you told your husband, like, I'm doing this blog and you're going to be my taste tester, that you turned you know, his, quote, shortcoming into an asset. That because because he's so picky, he's the perfect person to be the taste tester for these recipes. So it's like, you know, his his weakness became his strength in the context of your project. That's totally true. And, you know, um, I I didn't even make all that uh, calculus in my head when I asked him for that. But now that you mentioned that, I mean, that's exactly what happened. And um, I mean, how great that like, you know. Uh, someone who didn't eat healthy, that eat, not eating healthy was an asset both for me and for him as he learned to change and I learned to cook and this blog sort of evolved. It's pretty cool. Hey. So I found you because I don't even know how, but you know, your, your blog is pretty high profile. You get featured in, you know, Huffington Post and, and different media outlets. Um, maybe you could just, you know, tell me what, where, where, where your blog has been and your work has been featured because it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, yeah, I've been featured on Oprah.com, on Dr. Oz, on the Food Network, um, foodnetwork.com, um, Huffington Post, CNN, um, all over the place, really. Like, all, you know, Shape Magazine, Glamour, Cooking Light, um, and really, really everywhere. Um, and it's been, it's been incredible to see the response to uh, to my recipes. It's been really flattering. Right. So, so that's where I go, you know, as, as a published author in the nutrition field, like, how the hell did you do that? Like how many, you know, I, I'm, like we had, we had a PR team, we had, we hired people, you know, for 6,000 bucks a month and we didn't get, you know, so, um, without being too crass, like what, <laughs> you know, you're, and, and then when we talked, I discovered this isn't even your full-time gig or it's, it's hardly your part-time gig, right? You have a, you have a full-time tech job. Yes, I do. I have a full-time job at Google. Um, and this is my, uh, hobby turned side job. Um, my second job, I guess, <laughs> um, which I do on nights, weekends, early mornings. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to your question about the press, I, I mean, I really just feel, uh, lucky in the sense that I have, you know, I, it's me, it's just me, I'm, you know, one person show. And I, I haven't done any proactive marketing or outreach beyond just the standard, like, you know, I have a Facebook page, a Twitter account, Instagram, Pinterest, and um, Google plus, and I have all those social media outlets and I'm active on them. But beyond that, um, I haven't really done any proactive outreach. And I think people have just found me through organic search, probably the same way that you found me. And um, 
and they've reached out, uh, you know, like I did some videos for um, the own show, Oprah.com, um, you know, online uh, network. And um, I literally just got an email from them, a cold email um, asking me if I'd be interested in filming a few videos on, um, you know, how to, how to stock your pantry with healthy ingredients. So um, it's, it's, it's just been things like that where I just get uh, direct outreach from those media outlets um, asking me if they, if I'd be willing to do a guest post or if they could feature one of my recipes. Um, and I, I have to think that it's just because they find my blog through some sort of Google search Thank you, Google, um, or or some other. Uh, you don't get prefer- you, don't, you don't get preferential treatment, do you? Matt, Matt Cuts doesn't uh, bump you because <laughs> you work. No, there, right? definitely, definitely not, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I don't. I don't know how people find me, to be honest. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're. you're there, there's something about um, about you that's not not only findable, but you know, hi- highly interesting and appealing and attractive um, that, that you know, makes people, you know, sort of the, the media attention like flows downhill as opposed to having a PR team that's, you know, pitching you right and left. The fact that people are coming to you is, was really interesting to me. So I, um, I'd like to share the results of an experiment that I did. <laughs> um, okay. So I went to your Facebook page and I just did a copy and paste of all of your posts through July. So about about six months of posts. And I then um, entered them into uh, Wordle, which creates uh, word clouds. Oh, Uh, yeah. And I wonder if you can tell me, tell me what the uh, guess, what the two most, aside from like the, what what are the two (laughs) most commonly used words on your blog? I, I got it. I think like delicious and yummy or something like that. I'm not very good with this food description. <laughs> All right, so I've got the I've got the word cloud in front of me, and I'll send it to you later. It'd be fun to post. So the t- the, t- yeah, the two biggest great. the two biggest are happy and healthy. Really. The, then recipe, and then the next three are perfect, delicious, love, and everyone. Oh wow! Which which um, confirmed my theory. Which is what you know that the the one thing I'm finding in your blog, which I almost never find in sort of plant based healthy food bloggers, is just this this unlimited supply of positivity. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. I had yeah, this is so interesting to hear. So yeah, so I mean, actually, I went down to I just noticed I went down to June twentieth. And so most of your posts start out with the word like love, love this. I love this. You know, I'm excited <laughs> about this. Um, um, uh, inspiring words for the new year. Uh, this is the perfect way to do this. Like, like it's just, um, you know, if, if I were to write like that, I would like need a team of editors <laughs> to... Uh, <laughs> To take all the snark and 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 criticism and judgment and superiority, um, and I just you know, um, I guess it's you know, it's probably since you you're not sort of aware of it, it's probably sort of a baseline positivity around your personality. But as as a brand, 
uh, I'm finding when I look at your blog and I look at your Facebook posts that everything you write is about something positive. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's true. I, I never thought of it that way, but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think of myself as a pretty positive person. Um, and I guess I just really want people to be, to be happy and healthy. There's, I just don't see a reason why, um, people can't achieve that if they really want to. So I think I really just try to put that out there. Um, and the other thing I think, you know, that I am consciously doing with my post is that I want healthy eating to be accessible. I don't want there to be judgment around it. You know, I don't want people to feel bad if they eat a cookie, like you can have a cookie, like eat the cookie and then, you know, have something healthy for dinner. It really just, I, I think the, um, the thing that I'm trying to provide a different perspective on is really um, that I, I think the stigma around being vegetarian or being vegan or being gluten-free or being healthy or being eating organic, like all of these things have so much pressure attached to them. Um, and, and what I've noticed is a lot of people in the nutrition community make it seem like, you know, if you aren't following the rules exactly in the way that, you know, the textbook says they're supposed to be followed. There's nothing else that you can do. Like there's no in between, there's no gray area, there's no 80, 20. And I think I'm a really big 80, 20 person. Ah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and I think that's the, the easiest way to get people to, to eat healthier is if they feel good about it, if they don't feel pressure that they have to do it perfectly every time. Um, like the pressure to be perfect, I think is another thing that I'm kind of fighting against. Um, you know, want to provide a different perspective on with my blog. So that is something that I do consciously do, but I had no idea that all my Facebook posts were that, that positive. <laughs> Although I'm glad that they are. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, I kept on thinking like there's something missing here. You know, it's like, it's like someone who just, you know, who has a headache their whole life. And then one day they don't have the headache anymore. And they go, what, what's, what's missing? <laughs> Some, right. Something's different. Like this is just purely, you know, it's, it's about enhancing people's pleasure in their lives and, uh, and possibilities. And I think yeah. that's my, my guess is that that's the core of the brand that makes, uh, you know, Oprah and Dr. Oz and food network and all these, um, you know, media sites, uh, want to share you. Cause you know, when I, when I talk about, you know, nutritional stuff and I get into, you know, debating with, with paleo and I can get very, you know, upset about how poorly science is done. And I can get very upset about the monetary influence of big corporations on the way we eat. And it's all true. And it's helpful to some people at some point. But like, it, it doesn't make me a very popular, you know, like dinner party guest when I when I put, <laughs> when I put on that hat. And I just feel like, you know, you inviting you to a potluck means I'm going to get great food and really uplifting, uh, inspiring conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and don't get me wrong, like the things that you mentioned really make me upset also. Like, I think it's ridiculous the way that you know, the, the control that food companies have, especially over like packaging and the information that consumers have and how confusing things can be when people go to the grocery store and they try to, you know, they think they're doing something right by buying the box that says all natural when all natural actually means nothing, you know, 
I mean, those things completely bother me too, but I think, yeah, I think what I found is that, um, and occasionally I will do a post, um, about a topic like that. Um, like I recently did a post about the different baby formula options available to us in the U S and actually how even the organic ones are pretty, for lack of a better word, sketchy when it comes to, um, the ingredients they have, but the, the organic formulas in the UK are actually so much better for your baby. And so, you know, I have done posts like that in the past, and I think it is important to share that kind of information. Um, but I do try to, again, when I'm making a post like that, like try to be very clear that this is just information that I'm sharing. If you can't follow it 100% of the time or even any percent of the time, like I'm not judging you for making a different choice. Um, I just don't want people to feel bad about there's so much guilt and pressure already around food and eating, and I just don't want people to feel feel that way when they visit my blog. I want them to feel like it's something that they can do. Um, that's something that, you know, even if I am doing a post on like not eating soy protein isolate, for example, I've gotten lots of reader comments saying like, Hey, I eat this particular cereal and I just realized it has soy protein isolate. Like, what should I do? And I usually say like, look, if you can, I would avoid it. Um, just because there are other options out there and I'll give them a few others. And I'm like, if you can't like, just try to eat it less, you know, I mean, just try to do your best. That's, that's sort of my message, you know? Right. Well, you know, let's, and let's take that um, baby formula post as a case study. So I didn't, mm-hmm. click, I didn't click through the blog. I was just doing this on Facebook and this was from November 14th. And so you write for any moms who are needing to supplement with formula or are switching to formula or are curious about the healthiest baby formula out there, this post is for you. So instead of like, you, you know, for mothers who, you know, deprive their children of maternal bonding and nurturance by withholding breast milk, you know, for mothers who insist on working crazy hours instead of taking care, like there's no judgment in there. You have all these different, right. different possibilities. And then the healthiest baby formula out there and the, uh, the, the, the URL is what's the best organic formula. So even when you go into a little bit of, um, you know, critique, you, you know, the invitation was totally positive and non-judgmental. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I really do. I really do try to do that with, with my blog because again, even when it comes to breastfeeding versus formula, like, I mean, I have a one-year-old I've been through, you know, nursing my daughter and also giving her formula when like, I just couldn't nurse anymore. And I think, again, that that topic has so much pressure and so much guilt associated within our society. And I mean, there's so many reasons why women can't breastfeed or don't want to or, you know, want need to supplement, want to supplement, whatever it is. It's like no one's trying to harm their baby. Everybody's trying to do the best they can. And I just think that that, you know, operating on that premise can still enable you to provide people with information that can help them. Um, and maybe make them more likely to take up that information if they don't feel bad about it. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, th- thank you for saying that because I, I really did try to do that with that, that post especially. Right. Cause I think it's easy to confuse w- our target. Cause you know, you, you and I were talking about public health and mm-hmm. yet we're also talking to individuals, you especially with recipes and lifestyle tips and, you know, individuals, we, it's very hard for us to be healthier than our society, right? It's so, mm-hmm. it's so easy to consume junk food and lots of animal products and processed foods and, 
you know, to never exercise and never meditate and never do anything that's, uh, you know, cl clinically proven to be good for us. And there's, you know, there are um, in so so social, societal levels at which we can wage that battle. But mm -hmm. the, but when we when we take the battle to the individuals who are, the, who are really the victims of the system, we're we're actually disempowering them even more. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's very well said. So so I read on your blog that you have a one year old daughter. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, she just turned one yesterday. Oh, wow. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I, I saw a, a, a Facebook post of her eating her broccoli. Um, <laughs> yeah. And her, her name is pronounced Layla, right? Yeah, Layla. Beautiful name. Thank you. So what has Layla taught you about cooking? You kind of had a, a, a dress rehearsal with, with the way that you described feeding your husband, like making sure all of his, you know, his first taste of kale was positive and all that. <laughs> right. now, now that you've got an actual toddler, what, what is what has she taught you about uh, cooking? Yeah, I mean, so I guess I just um, I had a theory that um, if you introduce babies to foods that are not um, not traditionally things they would love, right? Broccoli, spinach, kale, cauliflower, whatever, all of those um, more pungent, maybe slightly bitter vegetables um, compared to like sweet potatoes, carrots, and, you know, all, all the like fruits out there that babies love, bananas and, and Cheerios and all those things, um, that the more that they get exposed to that earlier, the easier it will be for them to have a wider palate for different types of foods later. Um, and the easier it will be for them to eat, you know, green veggies and things that they don't normally, that kids traditionally don't like um, as, as they grow up. Um, and so, so far, I mean, that's proven to be the case. I, you know, Layla's first food, I, we never gave her rice cereal as her first food. We gave her avocado, then we gave her sweet potato, and then we gave her green beans and peas and these are all things that I know babies don't like and trust me she didn't have the greatest reaction to them at first either um but my you know try try again approach uh paid off eventually because um now she eats everything and anything I mean she loves all the things kids traditionally like like cheese and Cheerios and bananas and you know, pancakes and bread and whatever else. And, um, and then she, but she also, one of her favorite meals is broccoli, spinach, cauliflower, uh, mixed into this Indian lentil stew that I make mixed with yogurt. And she just gobbles it up like it's candy. So, um, I think what I've learned is that, uh, babies and toddlers, uh, if given the opportunity can surprise you in terms of how wide their range of taste um, taste can be. Um, I, I've also made all of her food at home. So, you know, a lot of the packaged babies, so which I, I have given her from time to time because sometimes you just are on the go and you need something fast, but, um, those, you know, squeezy, um, packaged baby food, even the organic ones that are like, you know, broccoli apple or spinach pear. I mean, those are great, especially when you're traveling or if you just are in a bind. Um, but a lot of times they have more of the fruit than they do of the veggie because, you know, babies like fruits. And so if it's sweet, babies will eat it. And so it, it um, I try to make her baby food at home because um, pureeing broccoli, just broccoli, tastes a lot more like broccoli than those packets do. And so 
I thought that she would develop the taste for that vegetable better if she was just eating that vegetable. So that was another thing that I sort of tested out with her that I think has helped. Um, and now literally like she will eat what we eat for dinner. Like last night I made a, a gnocchi with white beans, spinach, tomatoes, garlic, you know, all the Italian seasonings and a pinch of crushed red pepper. And she loved it. So, um, it's been great seeing her taste evolve over the past six months. Wow. Now, given that you have a one-year-old and a picky eater husband and a full-time job and a part-time job as a health coach and a part-time job as a food blogger, um, <laughs> what are your uh, strategies for efficiency, for having the time to prepare home-cooked meals you don't you, you don't brand yourself as sort of you know the the kitchen ninja like with a thousand t- t- <laughs> tips or tricks but you must have a sum yeah I mean I um I'm very efficient uh I'm really good at time management I you know I like try to plan out my day from eight to six you know you try to use every minute that I can throughout the day Um, and I always, I actually always cook in the morning. The first thing when I wake up, I go downstairs and while I'm eating my breakfast, I cook. And so, um, dinner is done for the day and so is Layla's food. And so then I only have to think about it for the rest of the day. Um, and then I just go on with, you'll cook something, you'll cook something and then put it in the fridge for, for later, or you put it in like a slow cooker or. Sometimes I make things in the slow cooker. It depends on what it is. Um, you know, like if I'm making a, like a, a doll, right, like an Indian doll, a doll, I will make that in slow cooker, just leave it there, call it a day. Um, if I'm making something else like the gnocchi that I made yesterday, I made it and then put it in a, you know, in a Tupperware in the fridge for later. Okay. And so if you cook in the morning, you have to have all the ingredients ready. So do, do you plan out what you're going to cook like a week in advance or the night before? Or are you just look in the fridge and say, what have I got? Oh, yeah, I'm a big planner. So I plan all of our meals for the entire week, breakfast, lunch and dinner every weekend. And I go grocery shopping every weekend for the entire week. And then I do it all over again the next weekend. So um, so yeah, so we have everything that we need for the entire week. Uh, you know, by Sunday night, basically. And so I never have to make like a, a run to the grocery store <clears throat> midweek. And um, I never, you know, have the mystery of like, what are we going to eat for dinner? Because I've already done that work, the, you know, the week before. Oh, all right. We're, we're from different planets. <laughs> <laughs> I, su- I suppose I could, I could learn this skill if I had to. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, planning planning keeps my life running stressy, stress free, and pretty efficiently. So I don't, I don't know that I could do without it. <laughs> so your uh, your blog is gorgeous. It's got you know your recipes. Everything's beautifully laid out. Great, you know, fonts and and uh, the you know the the recipes themselves are clear, easy to read, and, the, and there's beautiful photography. Um, Thank you. How conscious? How much uh, sort of conscious effort do you did you put or do you put into the beauty of the blog? Because obviously, if you're just doing you know a file cabinet of recipes for yourself, you don't need to go to that trouble. When when do, did you start doing that? Just as a matter of aesthetics, or how how did that come about? 
Yeah, so um, it uh, slowly evolved, just like the blog. Um, I started out with no pictures, uh, very basic WordPress.com blog, wasn't self-hosted, um, you know, really kind of ugly. <laughs> um, and as people started following it, I realized, like, oh, like other people are looking at this. Maybe I should put in some effort and make it a little bit prettier. And so I did the first design myself. Um, and it was really basic, but definitely better. And then I started taking photos of my recipes, still very basic, very ugly photos, but, uh, but you know, better than nothing. Um, and then I, uh, and then over time, you know, after a year or two, then I hired, um, someone who, cause I, I can't, you know, I'm not a coder. I don't know CSS. And, um, so I hired someone to implement the design I had in mind. Um, and so I basically, worked with them to create the design in Photoshop and then they actually implemented it on my blog and that's the design that you see today. Um, and then with my photography, I, um, you know, upgraded my camera from like a point and click to a DSLR and I upgraded my lens on the DSLR eventually also. And I taught myself how to shoot photos. I just looked at, you know, I looked at other food blogs who had really amazing photos and I tried to copy them. <laughs> you know, I just like, I was like, how you tried to look at how they positioned the food, what angles did they shoot the food at, what was the lighting like, um, you know, and I also started using photo editing platforms like Photoshop and Lightroom, which obviously helps a lot, um, especially if you're working in bad lighting. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, really just sort of, again, self, self-taught or on the photos. Um, but I do, I did consciously, once people started looking at my blog, slowly try to make it a better, better experience for people. <laughs> So, um, give, given how well this has all gone and the interest you've gotten and the fact, you know, you're actually putting posts together with, with sponsors, um, do you see this growing to, I don't, I don't want you to publicly, uh, you know, come out and say you might ever leave Google. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're indexing this, uh, <laughs> this podcast. Um, but do, do you see this as something that, uh, uh, part of your career that you'd like to grow? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, I mean, I, I'm the type of person that has multiple interests and passions and I love what I do at Google and I love what I do with my blog. And in my ideal world, I can keep doing both in perpetuity and both continue and continue to grow in both. So um, that's sort of my ideal vision. And, um, you know, eventually I'd love to write a book, um, you know, uh, with sort of the perspective of what it means to be a picky eater um, with my blog and, um, continue to grow that, um, and continue to help people because, you know, everything on my blog is free. There's like 200 healthy recipes. And I just really want to make that a resource for people to go to when they want to eat healthier. So that's really where I see it going. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, short answer is yes, I do. I do hope that it grows, continues to grow and that I continue to grow with it. Awesome. Well, I, I would be the first person to uh, pre-order your book. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> is, um, yeah, I mean, these are, you know, clear, clearly one, one of the big things I think that separates, you know, great food bloggers from average ones is testing. Because mm -hmm. it's really easy to sort of write down a recipe or adapt someone else's recipe. But I think, you know, the, the fact that you've got a toddler eating the food and a uh, self-avowed picky eater eating it, <laughs> um, I think that, you know, that means there's a, there's a lot of stuff that uh, I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of recipes that never got published, right? Because they didn't make that grade. 
Yeah, there's there's a few. Um, I like in the beginning more than now because now I think I've just gotten a lot lot better at um, looking at a recipe and knowing whether or not it's going to taste good just based on the combination of spices and the level of spices. Um, I just find that a lot of recipes online are under seasoned, and that's like one of the biggest flaws. And so um, I now it's less of a you know oh this one really was a disaster, but there were definitely some early disasters that didn't make it on. <laughs> mm. And I saw there was one post where you talked about uh, I think it was a Huffington Post article about like one of your favorite spices. And I was, you know, wondering which one it was. And I discovered it was actually my favorite spice, Aleppo chili. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, I discovered it a while ago. Uh, and I, it's just a really um, it's hard to find. But um, it is a it is a really nice sort of um, you know, low intensity heat, but still uh, complex and mm, warm. It's a really warm spice. And I, I really like warm spices. <laughs> so probably the Indian food, you know, Indian back background in me. But um, but yeah, I, I do enjoy it. Yeah, I discovered it from it was in a recipe in um, Alan Redinger's book, Extraordinary Vegan. And the recipe, oh. the recipe looked so ordinary, <laughs> right? For the beginning, <laughs> like it was like rice pasta and white beans and broccoli rob and garlic. And then, okay. and then, you know, it's like, okay, that's fine. But, you know, very pedestrian. And then, you know, adding that cooking, it was cooking the garlic with the Aleppo pepper before adding the, the other stuff. And I was just wow. shocked at the kick this dish had. Again, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, I've got to run and drink water. But just, right. you know, like um, like fireworks as opposed to explosions. Yeah, yeah. It's like the perfect amount of heat. I, I, you know, cayenne, I think, packs more of a, if you put too much of it in, I need to drink water right now type of heat. But I feel like this is some, somewhere of a nice middle ground. <laughs> Great. So any before we leave, any other um, sort of, you know, tips for someone who maybe is is in the situation you were in where they, you know, want to eat healthy and they, you know, they're in a, a house divided? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the more that you can get your partner or your family on board, the better. Um, but the easiest way to do that is really to just sort of, you know, simple, sim think simple, small, simple nudges, like you're at a restaurant and instead of everybody ordering what they usually order, maybe make it a game and see, you know, like who can find the most tastiest vegetable on the menu. And then like everybody orders one and then everybody tastes each other's and then you guys can have a conversation about it or, you know, try to think of ways to make it fun, um, make it not seem like a chore. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, I, I, well, I can, I can definitely vouch for my recipes as being um, ones that if you tried with, people who didn't really like healthy food or even vegetarian food that they probably would like their recipes. So that's a good place to start too. <laughs> awesome. And there's, there's 200 recipes. It is, uh, as you would expect from a Googler, very well indexed. <laughs> it's very <laughs> sortable and searchable. And, uh, and I love that you have the, uh, at the bottom, you have a, you know, easy to print. Um, yes. So every yeah. recipe is printable. Yeah. Right. So the only the only thing that could make it more convenient is a book or if you come over and do it for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. So um, I'm, I'm inspired. I'm definitely going to uh, put, 
pull down a few of these. I'm looking. I'm looking at your uh, today's the uh, vegetarian Penang curry with tofu. Oh um, yeah, that one was good. <laughs> so I think with a, with a little bit of a shop, I think we've got a, we've got pretty much everything. That's going to be our dinner tonight. So I'll let you know how it goes. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, I'd be excited to hear about it. All right, so Anjali Shah from the PickyEaterBlog.com. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much. It was great speaking with you. Be well. You too. Bye. I hope you really enjoyed that interview with Anjali Shah, and I hope you'll check out her blog, PickyEaterBlog.com. Try out a few of the recipes that look good to you, and keep an eye out, because if I have anything to do with it, she will have a cookbook out within the next 18 months, because it's good stuff. Uh, Upcoming interview, next week we have Heather Crosby, the author of Yum Universe, so continuing in the happy food vein for the next little while. And as always, if you appreciate this podcast, you can help out by sharing it on Facebook or Twitter or Google Plus or whatever the social media of the day is. Um, You can leave a review. This is really helpful if you can rate and review it on iTunes and just tell other people about it. That's how we grow. So thanks a lot. Look forward to talking to you again. Be well, my friends.